0: I'm Elena Landsberg lewis your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Ilana Landsberg-Lewis. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. And today I have a fascinating and delicious guest, Vicki Benison, who is the creator and mind behind something wonderful called the Pasta Grannies. What I know about Vicky is that she worked, not unlike myself at one point in life, in international development in places like Serbia and South Africa and Turkmenistan, and at the same time began to write about food and has written wonderful food guides and a cookbook on Spanish cooking, which I particularly like. And I thought, Vicky, we should start here. What are the pasta grannies and how did you come up with this idea?
1: Pasta grannies is women that I've managed to find in Italy who are usually over the age of around 65. The idea for it came about because I was doing some research for another book. What I noticed was that these skills kind of stopped at the age of about 65, that the women who were younger than that were too busy. They had joined Northern Europe in having to go out to work and the school system in Italy is particularly kind of stacked against women who have spent their lives kind of running around after their kids. So it becomes much more difficult to do any kind of cooking from scratch. So I thought, let's make a record of this. And I'm a food writer, but I felt that that didn't adequately kind of document what these women were doing. So I've been doing that for about four years, probably.
0: I was noticing on YouTube that you've been filming and you have over 100 videos. And as as we were just saying that... (laughs) It it, must be four years. It must be four years. And we were just saying before we started recording that today on YouTube, you're the creator on the rise.
1: I think I might be one of their older creators.
0: <laughs> beautiful. Just beautiful. And it's not just about pasta though, is it? Although that is something special in and of itself that I want to hear about. But it isn't just documenting and the chronicling of no, the old no. women making pasta by hand.
1: No. One of the other reasons for doing it is actually to acknowledge how important the contribution of older women are, particularly in the sort of food media world. I mean, it seems to be dominated by chefs, And everybody seems to acknowledge, oh, yes, you know, my grandmother taught me how to cook or my mother taught me how to cook. But they don't actually acknowledge those women. You never see them. And at the same time, you know, normal people, if you like, sort of ordinary families, they all adore their grannies and appreciate their contribution. But that just simply doesn't get reflected in food media generally. And I wanted to change that. I felt that there was space for ordinary women and just
0: how special they are. I was reading something about the pasta grannies, I think an interview that you had done elsewhere. And I was very touched because you were talking about the kind of conversations that come up and the history that emerges as the grandmothers start talking while you're filming them cooking. And I thought that makes perfect sense because we all know that when we're in the kitchen and we're cooking, we're chatting and we're reflecting. And it's almost like the hands are busy and the mind has time to reflect. Yes, I mean,
1: I've had one or two, occasions where the granny, if you like, has actually started telling stories the family didn't know about when they were filming. Stories, for example, when they were working in the rice fields and the traumas that they had. I've also had stories where other women actually enjoyed their time as rice workers, the Mondine they're called in Italy. The women sort of had to hoik up their skirts and work barefoot in the flooded paddy fields that you get along the Po Valley. That job no longer exists because of technology and pesticides and things like that. There's just this whole host of wonderful stories that these women have and a very different approach to food. Food wasn't abundant. Everybody had to be really careful with it. It wasn't that these women were starving or their families were starving but it gives an entirely different mindset to cooking for your family.
0: Right. And as I've been speaking to grandmothers, that's something that's come up periodically. I did an interview with a wonderful grandmother from Greece. There's a restaurant in New York called Enoteca Maria, where this fellow has started a restaurant where he brings grandmothers who are living in New York, but from other countries. And they are the chefs in the kitchen and they cook dishes from their country. And one of the things that this grandmother was talking about, Plumitsa from Greece, was how important food was in the family and how seriously she took her role both as a mother but even more so now as a grandmother to be a kind of transmitter of culture through the food. Is that something that you hear too? I don't know if the women
1: would necessarily be able to articulate it As succinctly as that. I think, I think they understand that theirs is a central position in the family and that there is an insistence on sort of being able to sit down together as a family and that they are the key driver in that. But they're very sad, you know, it's like, oh, well, my daughter doesn't make it anymore and shrugs their shoulders. They're too busy getting on with life. I think it's also that they realize that families still come to them because of food. So it's like that's a way of remaining central to the family is through
0: food. Is there something in particular that has struck you as a common theme as you're talking to the grandmothers while they're making pasta? I've kind of developed
1: my theory on growing old. (laughs) (laughs) It sort of concurs with other, you know, the sort of academic research on it is, is that these women have remained incredibly busy all their lives. They're not sedentary. They have stuff to do every single day, all day, and have done so for the last 70 years. That's the thing that really comes through and that they are amazingly connected in their family and in their community. And I think that's another aspect of staying active and sort of sparkly into your later years.
0: You're grandmother yourself. Yes,
1: I'm the food doula. I mean, <laughs> I just make sure that uh, mum and dad are fed. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing exactly as my grannies do. I'm just kind of supplying them with ragu, and <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds pretty wonderful to me. <laughs> And I wonder, has filming grandmothers and speaking to grandmothers had any influence on your own thinking as a grandmother or has it changed you in some way? What's the impact been on you doing this project? I've only been a
1: granny for six weeks. so. Oh, for goodness sake. That's not <laughs> It's early days. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I was still adjusting the <laughs> in terms of though I think I felt quite strongly when you come away from the grannies and you start looking at people generally how people are really losing the connectedness to food people have very strange relationships with food I find increasingly and that's because they're not sort of tied in with the sort of cooking it from scratch and understanding where it comes from and so they end up being anxious about food pasta is very zen so sort of very therapeutic thing to do you know and it's also
0: a good workout. (laughs) I was thinking that it was kind of hypnotic watching your videos.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Comments, uh, I can't remember where from where it said, it's oddly soothing.
0: (laughs) It is oddly soothing. And, you know, one of the things I love about the videos, and I thought it was the perfect medium, was that also there was something very beautiful about watching the grandmother's hands. You know, they're just hands that have been through a lot. And inevitably, Mm. because they're producing these swirly pieces of pasta, There's something very touching. It reminded me of my own grandmother's hands. And it was very beautiful about that. Yes.
1: I mean, I've been overwhelmed by people writing in saying, oh, it reminds me of my grandmother. I mean, even if it's nothing to do with pasta, that still gives me a good feeling in the morning.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You have one grandmother, I think it's Giuseppe, and you call her the 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 oldest pasta-making granny in the world.
1: Yes. And, Yes.
0: uh, And what is Giuseppe's story?
1: Giuseppe's story is that she has lived all her life in her village in Sardinia and she continues to live in the house that she's always lived in with her brother, who she makes pasta for every single day. Wow. Her brother is about 80. (laughs) Right. So what's very Italian is that a large house will be Kind of divided up into different departments. So, you know, there are people around her who keep an eye on her. Her house is at the top of the hill, and at the bottom of the hill is her vegetable garden. And she's been banned by the family from going down to the vegetable garden, but she still does that anyway. So there's this kind of huge hike up and down the hill that she does. And I think that's probably another sort of thread through, you know, how do you get to 95 and still be active and sparkling like she is?
0: Yeah, because she really does sparkle.
1: Yes. I know. I mean, we couldn't show it all, but she sort of wanted to show us all the different passes that she could make. She thoroughly enjoyed having this change to her routine of these sort of people coming in. I always think we're sort of alien invasions when we come in. You know, we, we arrive in their kitchens and we open windows and we draw back curtains and we move things around. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. What do the grandmothers say to you? How do they feel about knowing that they're being filmed and that people that they've never met halfway around the world are going to watch them making pasta and telling their story.
1: I think they kind of go, oh, yeah. You know, they don't have mobile phones at that age. They don't. I mean, they might. They might be sort of communicating with their grandchildren Mm -hmm. through mobile phone. I mean, their grandchildren are completely bowled over. My goodness, my granny's a star. This is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) The reason I get people say yes is because usually a friend or a relative has persuaded them that that's what they should do. So they're doing it for them. And one of the perils of filming is that because they're doing it for you, you have to eat the food, <laughs> which is no hardship, except when it's three or four times a day and you're kind of, you know, gaining a kilo a day because mm. <laughs> it's rude not to.
0: Seems like a fair trade-off somehow to eat fresh and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <laughs>
1: complaining. <laughs>
0: That was interesting to me when I was watching some of the videos. How are you finding these grandmothers? They seem to be far flung and from Mm. all different walks of life. How have you found pasta-making grannies?
1: I have a granny finder called Livia Di Giovanni. And so Livia and I kind of work together. I say, Ooh, you know, let's do Puglia. You know, what particular pastors are there, you know? And so she will use her connections. We kind of also try the mayor's office, the priest, the slow food, anybody and everybody who might be able to help gets asked and that's how we
0: find them and you were saying that they get persuaded by family and friends yes
1: why <laughs> yes. do they have to be persuaded because mostly they're very shy it's never occurred to them that that should be something that's valued or paid attention to and you'll find quite often that grannies don't actually join the family at the meal That they will be busy already on to the next course or washing up or something like that
0: so they don't see the point in capturing it
1: I think they've understood that this isn't an important aspect. Everybody says, yeah, I love my nonna and stuff like that. But what they're doing, um, the actual sort of physical craft of it, it's just something that they do. It's not they haven't understood that it's something of value. So that when someone does turn up with a camera, they're totally thrilled about it.
0: How did you come to feel that this was the thing that you wanted to capture and that this was (laughs) of value?
1: I have a home in Italy. So, of course, when you think of Italy, you think of pasta and pizza and stuff. And and we don't live in a pizza part of the world. I mean, we do, but it's not Naples and things Mm. where pizza comes from. So you see the programs and you sort of read the books and stuff like that. I just thought, you know, there's this disconnect between the image of Italian food and gastronomy and the reality. When I first arrived in Italy about 13 years ago, what you got in supermarkets was quite sort of straightforward, quite limited, if you like. It was only what you could get in season. And now they have the quinoa, and everything's gone gluten-free, and there's a huge shift in what Italians are eating. I mean, that's not all Italians, and there'll be lots of Italians listening to this. who will go, that's not the case, and rightly so in their families. But there is this shift in how Italians are eating. And I settled on pasta. I mean, I like pasta, but it just seemed to me there was techniques there that was going to be difficult to transmit, and that cakes were a different thing because people still like indulging in cakes and stuff. pasta suffers from this kind of carbohydrate thing. So I thought I'd document it whilst these women were still around and doing it. So I came at it actually from not from I love pasta point of view. I came at it from sort of cultural point of view. And one of the frustrations of YouTube, I think, is that it's short form storytelling, that I don't get a chance to actually sort of say more about the grannies themselves. So that, you know, the passer is the forefront of the two minute film. And that's great. But I'm writing a book as well. And I will be telling people more about the grannies and about Sardinia, for example, where they live.
0: So a book is the next step then?
1: Yeah. In addition to Livia, I have a collaboration with a woman called Julia Greiner, who also was in international development. And she also has her own handmade pasta cooking school in Rome. And she continues her career as a photographer, a news photographer on the side. And I wasn't so interested in a food stylist for the book. I wanted more reportage, if you like. So she comes with us on the trips and takes photos of the grannies that we have, which is one of the challenges of writing books is the most expensive element of it. So I thought, <laughs> I know, I'll take that problem away from publishers
0: <laughs> <laughs> very good strategy
1: you know I have been approached by publishers and what they wanted to do was just studio stuff and I want no I want the women <laughs> right. I, don't, I just don't want the plates of pasta I want the women being photographed so I suppose that's the other thing about growing older is I end up being much more independent I suppose in what I want I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> I mean another six months. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> without fail, I've heard that from every grandmother to whom I've spoken, that there is a shift as they age where they yes. worry less about what people are going to think and they feel yeah. Much more entitled to their opinion that comes from years yeah. of life.
1: Yes. I was sort of talking about the chefs and, and things and how they always talk about grannies, but when you look at television, you have the sort of the male celebrity chef and they'll have a team of home economists. And then you have another genre, which is beautiful young women making food. I look at them and I think, oh, you're gorgeous. And I hope you have a very good career and food and stuff. But you know what? I've been cooking for longer than you've been alive. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Why isn't someone sort of asking someone like me, it doesn't have to be me, about how I go about making this cake or this pasta? So that was the kind of another kind of thinking of it. It's like, there's so many of us, we're so invisible, older women, and we're wonderful. And that kind of warmth, I think, that you get when you're older and you realize that you're never going to get your waist back and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> you're right. Yeah. There, There is a real absence. And since this is something that women have done since time immemorial, it's a gendered universe. Yes. It is very strange not to see the women that we've grown up with in our kitchens.
1: Yes, I blame the commissioning editors, I think. I mean, we have one celebrity presenter, Mary Berry, who's sort of 85, but that's one. And I think there's probably room for more. So it's a strange thing. And I think it's probably because commissioning editors are very young themselves. (laughs) That's how they see
0: themselves. I thank you for the pasta grannies because it really started me down a road of real reflection around the role that cooking and food has played in our lives as some kind of continuity. There's no question that all of us have a recipe that was passed down or something that we wish our grandmothers or our mothers had taught us to make because we grew up eating it and we don't know how to make it ourselves. And there is a piece of familial history, familiarity, and nostalgia, and the feeling of home for a lot of us, I think, that is very intimately connected to a sense of our grandmothers.
1: Yes, yes. It's very true. What is your dish?
0: You know, my grandmother was a magnificent cook. She made almond cookies that I can still remember the taste mm-hmm. of. And she made perfect gefilte fish and the most extraordinary light, fluffy batza balls. <laughs> my memory of my grandmother and what was precious about her. And when I think about her, it is so intertwined with the way that she fed us, the way that she showed us her love through these incredible dishes that she made, which were also very connected to where we came from.
1: Yes, that's so true. I mean, the pastas are all so local. A lot of these recipes with your grandmother as well, I'm sure, are very tied to a place and that's changing.
0: Yes. And, and I identified very much having tried to recreate some of my grandmother's dishes with her recipes or my mother's version of her recipes, which is always a pinch of this, just enough of that <laughs> no, <laughs> until no. it tastes right. And I think, no, that's not a measurement I understand. <laughs> no, I know. I mean,
1: that is difficult. It's about having confidence in your palate,
0: mm-hmm. in, in
1: what you're tasting. And when you stop eating food from scratch, or if you never started, that is a difficult thing.
0: Do you collect the recipes from the grandmothers? Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. Mm. I mean, some I'm going to have to go back and sort of go, what was that pinch
0: again? (laughs) I'm paying more
1: attention. In fact, I've had a huge increase in subscribers. And they're all like, we want the recipe. <laughs> like, <Right>. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll give you recipes. <laughs> right.
0: And I imagine that you've tried baking pasta yourself or that you do it yes, yourself.
1: I do. I'm not a Spolinier. I mean, I came to it very late in life. So I think it's fun. I mean, I really enjoy it. I don't rush off and do a ravioli of, of an evening or anything like that. Right. I don't know enough about it, but I think flour has changed in the last 70 years. And that what we now buy is flour. I think it's much more rough and ready. So I enjoy using some of the older flours, some of the farrows and the emma wheat flours, which right. give them much more sort of wholemeal effect to a pasta.
0: How did you move from, I, I know that you explained that you were, what was it, mushroom hunting with Russian mafia and yeah. <laughs> wonderful stories about how you yourself were thinking about food and experiencing yeah. work. But how did you move from a career in international development
1: it starts with where I was born. I was born in Kenya. My father was working in international development himself. He was doing agricultural development and training farmers. My mother was a teacher. Food was never a given when we were growing up in Africa. We then moved down to Botswana and, you know, the the train from Zimbabwe brought milk once a week and sometimes it was kind of, you know, shot at by freedom fighters and, and things. And so milk we wouldn't have milk for a week. And so food was always a, an important topic of conversation in our family. And then we got sent away to school. So all my letters were just kind of, you know, just letters home about food. And that continued through my life is that I would be working, you know, in international developments. And on the other hand, I'd be writing in the evenings about the food that I'd found. And, and it was always, a, whether I was in Turkmenistan or South Africa, I would always be going down to the markets to see what was happening. So what happened was that food writing kind of gradually took over. I realized I couldn't do international development and be close to my family. So I sort of gave that up and food writing became more central in my career. You know, food has always been a passion. I've got sort of a cookery book from when I was nine and I'm already adjusting recipes. There are sort of notes saying, no, more bacon or something like that. I think I was encouraged by my parents and my grandmother. I mean, my grandmother came from a coastal town in Kent in Southeast England, and her husband was a market gardener, and he grew these exotic things called zucchini and tomatoes, which in the 60s were incredibly exotic in Britain. And he used to come home with these sort of basket loads. The smell of tomato stem is what reminds me of my grandpa. My grandmother, you know, my memories of her are things like brawn, head cheese, and her attempting to make things with these zucchini and tomato so it's a kind of a ratatouille without the aubergine if you like that she used to (laughs) serve up quite often without the garlic because she didn't use garlic (laughs) I mean she was a good home cook in the English tradition so those are my memories
0: (laughs) that's extraordinary a zucchini filled household I love that (laughs) I want to finish up by asking you whether this project with the pasta grannies has led you to think about other things that you want to do around food and grandmothers, or is this very specific to a particular way of making food and all the, all of the things that you've talked about and wanting to capture that?
1: What I would like to be able to do is use pasta grannies explore different parts of the world. I think that pasta is a kind of vehicle for exploring the lives of women in quite a few countries. So someone wrote to me this morning saying, oh, this pasta is exactly like one we make in Hungary. And, you know, the Greeks actually have several pasta recipes Mm -hmm. and I'd love to sort of film some of the Greek grannies. I was in Sri Lanka last year, you know, I'm sort of, I'm already thinking, spicy grannies, or is that a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful idea. That's my vote. <laughs> so what interests me is actually sort of giving voice to older women. And if I can continue to do that with pastor grannies, that's fantastic. Of course, um, I don't think of myself as old. There's always people that are just a few months older than me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and you're just a newly anointed grandmother yourself. I know. So you have yet to grow into it entirely, I imagine. Exactly, <laughs> Well, I thank you for all of it, Vicky, because the conviction that this matters is important.
1: Oh, it's so important to push them onto the stage, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) you know, take a bow, be
0: applauded. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for bringing these grandmothers to us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to GrandmothersOnTheMove.com and come back next week for another episode.